welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. I just have to go ahead and start by saying that the opening, as well as the trivia and rating review of this episode, might sound completely different from the actual recap. I'm not at home, or at least I wasn't at home when I was recording those portions of this podcast. I was out over in eastern Washington and not in my usual setup, so maybe I was a little closer to the microphone, maybe I was farther, maybe I was lying down, maybe I was, I don't know. Anyway, those parts of the episode just might sound a little different from everything else. It feels strange recording in places that aren't at my desk, at least there. There's a door I can close. I mean, I have a door to close here while I'm visiting in Spokane, but there's no desk. And I'm also not familiar with all the extra sounds I get picked up through the microphone. Not sure if you can hear them, but hopefully you don't. I have one thing I need to say about this episode before we get into the recap is, and it's one of those few times I'm actually going to say this, but... I feel as though this episode warranted being one of those long-run episodes. It just felt kind of rushed in points. Who knew that's what I wanted for my birthday? And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Author Authored and debuted on November 26, 1979. The episode was written by Carol and Michael Rochelle and directed by William F. Claxton. We find ourselves outside at Plum Creek. It's laundry day, but then again, when isn't it? Laura and Albert are at task, taking the clothes off the line and folding them, and in the background, we see a wagon approaching. Laura yells out, It's Paw! Which, every time she says that now, I immediately think of the Halloween Dream episode. After making the announcement, It's Pa has arrived, Laura, in the same breath, yells for Caroline to come out of the house. As Charles brings the wagon to a stop, he not only has a new plow in the wagon bed, but also a telegram for Caroline from her parents announcing a visit from Wisconsin. They're coming to see the birth of their great-grandchild. There's an awkward look over at Laura before it is announced Mary is pregnant once again. Hearing this great news, Laura decides to bolt so she can head over to the Hib to tell Mary and Adam. Albert inquires what about the laundry, at which point Laura yells back that the laundry goes in the basket. Oh, and don't let it fall in the dirt. Over at the hib, Mary is putting a bun in the oven. And as she turns to face the camera, well, it looks like Adam put a bun in the oven too. Mary is at least five months pregnant right here. And as she has a seat, she is joking that if this baby doesn't stop growing, it's going to end up with a name like Titan or Goliath. Adam jokes, well, it could be twins. 
at which point Mary's expression just goes blank. Adam continues that he even recalls how there is an aunt on his mother's side who had triplets. And again, it's a good thing Adam can't read the expression on Mary's face in this moment. The scene is interrupted when Laura arrives into the kitchen, ready to play a guessing game. Guess who's coming? Without missing a beat, Adam replies with the stork. Laura rolls her eyes and says no. Grandpa and Grandma Holbrook. Mary's excited. She tells Adam that she hasn't seen Grandpa and Grandma Holbrook since they left the big woods of Wisconsin. This is when Laura interjects, yeah, we were just babies. Now they're going to see your babies. In this moment, Adam makes a joke that falls flat. We are back over at Plum Creek. It's late night in the primary bedroom. Caroline is awake, and so is Charles, but he's reading. Caroline is simply excited her parents are showing up tomorrow. She's so excited to play catch up with her mother. We'll have so much to talk about. She also claims she's excited to see her pa, her step-pa, and as she continues thinking about her parents while lying in bed, she admits that she's never seen two people so in love. Charles inquires, uh, what about us? As he rolls over and gives her a kiss. When Charles pulls away, Caroline makes the announcement, my mom loves walnut cake. Charles, I kiss you, and that makes you think of cake? Caroline giggles and apologizes and kisses Charles back. And when she pulls away, Charles then blurts out, pot roast. We cut to engine number three arriving at the Springfield train station. Charles is there waiting and watching the passengers step out of the car. And he walks up and down the dock, but he doesn't find Caroline's parents. He decides to stop and ask for help to locate his in-laws. And passing by one of the boxcars, he witnesses people unloading a coffin. At this moment, Charles then finds the train's brakeman and inquires about the Holbrooks. And the brakeman, uh, are you family? This is when the brakeman spills the tea. Mrs. Holbrook? died en route to Walnut Grove. Charles does a double take over at the coffin and then told that the widow Holbrook was given a private compartment in the last car. As Charles heads down to the passenger car, the brakeman inquires, what do we do with the body? Charles, looking at the coffin, tells them, uh, you can load her up in the back of my wagon which is just around the corner. We get a lovely silhouette of the wagon ride back to Plum Creek against the backdrop of a sunset. And apparently, now it takes a whole day to get to the Springfield train station and back because Charles and Grandpa Holbrook arrive the next day. Once again, as the wagon comes to a stop, Caroline is out the door and gushing about how happy she is to see her pa. 
She doesn't take the time to notice the expression on the men's faces. Because next, Caroline starts calling out for her ma and runs to the back of the wagon. And peering inside? Well, let's just say it's not a positive experience for Caroline. We cut to Grandma Holbrook being laid to rest up on the hillside overlooking Plum Creek. Reverend Alden is delivering the service, and I just have to wonder, why didn't they bury her next to baby Charles? We've seen that headstone before. We cut to late night Plum Creek. Laura's delivering a voiceover, informing us Grandpa Holbrook has stayed a number of weeks, and he's living up in the prairie Airbnb, the sod house. Once the voiceover is completed, the door opens and Laura steps into the house, informing the family that Grandpa is still not hungry. Charles offers to go up and talk with the man, but Caroline says no, let me go. Caroline makes it up the hill, knocks on the door of the prairie Airbnb, and steps inside. Immediately, Grandpa Holbrook tells her he's not hungry. Caroline tells him, well, you haven't eaten anything lately, and I don't want to lose you, too. Grandpa Holbrook announces, eh, it's no biggie. I will die, and life will continue on, the way it has done for a thousand years. We born, we live, we die, then we're just a memory. And soon, that's forgotten, too. While Caroline argues with this sentiment and calls it untrue, Grandpa Holbrook says, I'll leave no mark or proof of my existence. I'm the last of the Holbrooks. Not even my name is going to continue. Caroline is not happy with the topic of conversation and decides to change it. However, Grandpa Holbrook tells Caroline if she's not interested, in listening to what he has to say, she can just leave. Your mother is all I had, and soon I'll be gone too. Nothing matters. Please just go. Caroline leaves the Prairie Airbnb with her father crying inside. Cut to the next day, week, month, who knows? But Albert is busy cleaning the barn as Caroline comes out to climb up into the wagon to head into town. During their conversation, it should be noted that Albert's voice drops an octave or two a few times as he inquires if he can get a ride into town. At first, Caroline says yes, but then she inquires if Albert has finished the book he needs to read for school. Albert shakes his head no and says, it's no Tom Sawyer, it's actually just a sleeping potion, at which point he's denied the ride into town. Charles makes his way down from the Prairie Airbnb, gives Caroline an update, and in this moment, Caroline tells us it's been almost three weeks since Laura's voiceover, with Charles interrupting and saying, this is just part of the grieving process. And I have to say, Caroline, you should be happy. At least he hasn't tried to burn the house down. With Charline gone, we find Albert up in the hayloft, trying to get through his book. 
However, after reading a page, he puts it down and stands up. And that's when he notices from out the window in the hayloft, Grandpa Holbrook is outside of the Prairie Airbnb. And thus Albert decides to start a conversation. And out in front of the Prairie Airbnb, Albert inquires to Grandpa Holbrook if he has ever read Silas Marner. His question is answered with a nope, at which point Albert says, ugh, you're lucky. And this is what starts Grandpa Holbrook to open up a little bit and mentions in his own youth, they had their own dull reading they had to do. And Albert inquires, well, how did you get through it? Slightly reluctant to share his story, Grandpa Holbrook mentions at his school, there was a smart kid named Cornelius T. Sherwood. Albert snorts at that name. And Grandpa Holbrook continues with how the students would pitch in pennies and pay Cornelius T. Sherwood to read the book and share its contents with those students who dropped in a penny. He would recap the book as we went fishing and we'd all be prepared. Albert calls that plan brilliant. But Grandpa Holbrook says, well, don't get any ideas. And Albert claims, oh, don't worry. I would be the Cornelius T. Sherwood in our class, and I don't want to be paid to read this book. He continues, he'd rather go into business and get rich that way, if I was smart. Grandpa Holbrook tells Albert, well, Cornelius never got rich, but he did have those brains, but he also had a weakness. Girls. Grandpa Holbrook continues that Cornelius would spend the money he earned on flowers and candy for the girls. And Cornelius had eyes for one special girl. Grandpa Holbrook stops and apologizes for talking up a blue streak. And you should go finish your reading. But Albert? Albert's more invested in the story between Corny and his girl. And takes a seat next to Grandpa Holbrook and asks to hear more. And Grandpa Holbrook gladly continues. We cut to Charline arriving at home. Laura is feeding the chickens and starts to unload the wagon. Caroline takes this moment to inquire where Albert is at, as well as if he has finished his book for school. Laura throws him under the wagon and says, no, he hasn't, but he's currently out on a walk with Grandpa Holbrook. Charles and Caroline exchange a shocked expression while Laura explains Grandpa Holbrook got busy sharing childhood stories. She also says that Grandpa Holbrook asked to have a place set for him at the table tonight. Caroline looks to Charles, who tells her, I told you so, but in a nicer way. At dinner, or after dinner, Caroline is recalling some story that Grandpa Holbrook had begun, with Grandpa Holbrook filling in some of the missing details. In this moment, Laura announces how she's inspired and she wants to write down her own stories. Caroline, however, pops that balloon by telling her 
One, you definitely need more paper. Plus, Grandpa Holbrook has a whole lifetime of stories to share. And turning her attention to her grandfather, Laura announces, maybe you should do the writing. Grandpa Holbrook LOLs, but Charles says he's got plenty of stories to fill a book. Why not? Laura jumps in, announces, oh, it would be like your very own remembrance book. And from Grandpa Holbrook, we get, eh, that sounds like a good idea. But then announces how hungry he is, and it's time to sit at the table for dinner. Cut to a random morning, and Grandpa Holbrook has been busy writing and keeping himself occupied. In fact, we get a montage of Grandpa Holbrook writing in a number of different places. The Prairie Airbnb, at the dinner table, oh, and by the banks of Plum Creek. Laura gets an opportunity to read a page of stories and starts to LOL. We then cut to Caroline, who's in bed, also LOLing at the stories. Apparently it's one involving a cow. Finishing the page, she hands it over to Charles, who reads it and also proceeds to laugh. And that's when Charles says out loud, You know, if we got this to the right people, it could be published. Caroline, a real book with printed pages? Charles decides they should get it printed as a book and send that out to the publisher while in the same breath also mentions that they should keep it on the DL. That way, it'll be a surprise if it happens, but it won't be a disappointment if it doesn't. As Charles continues to read the page that was presented to him, he then takes this moment to inquire, who is this Herman Otis, by the way? There's a momentary pause from Caroline as she proceeds to glance up at the ceiling who? Charles explains slash reads the text of the page he is currently holding and how she was caught kissing this Herman Otis. Caroline giggles. Oh my gosh, that was such a long time ago. Don't be jealous of my boogie. Charles announces he's tired and says that tomorrow he'll put in a request to get a printed copy of Grandpa Holbrook's stories, at which point he concludes that he's not jealous, he's just confused. Why are 10-year-olds kissing in the first place? We cut to Caroline arriving back at Plum Creek with a telegram proclaiming she has exciting news to share. Receiving the envelope, Charles pulls out the letter, telegram, inside quickly scans it, and then hands it to Grandpa Holbrook. This should have been addressed to you. And Grandpa Holbrook is a little confused. Why is anyone sending me a letter? And as he reads it, Charles spills the tea of how they went ahead, printed out a copy of his manuscript, and sent it to a publisher. And coming directly from that letter, it states how they are profoundly honored to accept this manuscript for publication. They want to publish my book. 
Grandpa Holbrook is so happy and proud and announces, I'll be remembered. I'm an author. And holy spit, here's someone we haven't seen in a while. It's DJ Ingalls with his fiddle in the house as the family celebrates Grandpa Holbrook's authorship. Meanwhile, Mary's still pregnant and she's laying in bed over at the hib. And instead of asking Adam if he's asleep or awake, she flats out wakes him up and tells him, let's have a picnic right here, right now. Just the two of us in bed. Half asleep, half awake, half alive, mostly dead. Adam announces, oh, I thought I was dreaming. I heard a request for a picnic. Mary, um, I did say that. At which point, Adam announces that there is a time for jokes and a time for picnics. And neither one of those is at this late hour at night. From Mary, we hear, I'm hungry. And tells Adam that there is cold chicken downstairs calling me. Adam says, good, you can have it for breakfast in a few hours. Mary rolls over on top of Adam and begs for that chicken, please. At which point we see Adam get up out of bed, head down to the kitchen to retrieve that chicken, at which he picked up two pieces at first, but then decided on bringing the entire bowl and heads up back upstairs to bed. And well, it should come as no surprise that upon returning to the bedroom, Mary is fast asleep, snoring. Just kidding. She is fast asleep. Adam, Adam crawls back into bed, but instead of laying down, sits up and starts to eat that fried chicken. Cut to the post office, Hotel Doc Baker's office, and postmistress Melinda Foster is back in service. She is quickly checking that mail because Charles is at the counter. And what does she hand over to Charles? It's a letter from the publishers with those contracts they want signed. And while Mrs. Foster is going on about the town's excitement about the news of Grandpa Holbrook's publication, minus Harriet Olson, Charles is looking at the contract and is a little overwhelmed with the text. And he decides to take it to somebody who might be able to help him out. Eliza Jane Wilder. And what we learn is that this publication company that Charles sent Grandpa Holbrook's manuscript to want them to pay $32 to publish the book. Charles proclaims, I thought the idea was that they paid us. Eliza Jane slightly scolds him. You should have brought this to me first and claims there are certain companies that appeal to hopeful authors and continues that most likely nobody at the publication even bothered to read the manuscript. But thankfully, you have no obligations with following through with this publishing. Charles thanks her and heads home, where the closed captions say crickets are chirping. Inside, Charles and Caroline are discussing the disappointment. Caroline bemoans 
those stories meant so much to him, to us. Charles takes the blame. If only I hadn't said anything, we wouldn't be in this situation. It is decided that it's best to tell Grandpa Holbrook sooner rather than later. Caroline takes it one step farther by suggesting it's probably best if he hears it coming from his daughter. Charles shakes his head. This was all my idea. I'll tell him. But I'll tell him in the morning as he gets up and heads outside for a walk. The camera pans up and we see Laura and Albert, who've been up in the loft, eavesdropping this entire time. It's the next day. Charles is making his way up to the Prairie Airbnb and Grandpa Holbrook is at the table continuing to write. But this time, it's letters back home to his friends that are still in the big woods, announcing that he's going to be a published author. As he continues on with his excitement, he finally inquires to Charles, what does Charles want to discuss? Charles puts the contract back into his pocket and changes the topic of conversation by simply stating, breakfast is ready. Grandpa Holbrook announces that after breakfast, he plans on heading into town to check the mail to see if those contracts have showed up. Charles, uh, I'll do it. I'm heading into town anyway. And as Charles leaves the Prairie Airbnb, Grandpa Holbrook inquires, well, if you're going into town, could you drop these letters off at the post office? Picking up that stack of letters, Charles simply says, sure. And just as Charles is almost out the door, Grandpa Holbrook says, thank you, Charles, for all that you've done. I wouldn't be writing these letters to my friends back home if it wasn't for you. Charles smiles and says, see you at breakfast. Returning to the house, Charles explains the hound full of letters in his hand, and Caroline inquires, Oh, you didn't tell him. What are we going to do then? And I'll tell you what they do. What they do all the time when the family is in any sort of situation. They work together. Charles's plan is that they raise that $32. And to start off, Charles exclaims, I can sell that new unused plow and get $25 for it, and then we can raise the rest. And we cut to Mankato as Charles's wagon pulls to a stop. P.S. Laura and Albert are also in tow. As Charles announces he is off to try to sell that plow, Albert and Laura are granted permission to look around the town. And walking side by side, Laura calls Albert out. You're up to something, aren't you? And Albert's smile is a dead giveaway as he escorts Laura out of the scene. Meanwhile, Charles is only getting half the price he is looking for for that new unused plow. The shopkeeper tells Charles it's the best offer he's going to get. And the shop is open till six, if he changes his mind. 
From there, we cut to a fancy-dressed woman making her way through the town of Mankato. And we spot Albert and Laura spanging with dirt all over their faces. They stop the fancy woman and Albert, Albert lets her have it. How Laura and Albert have lost everything in a fire, including their parents. And apparently Laura's ability to hear and speak. This fancy woman is 100% getting played, but she falls for it. The entire time she is hearing Albert's story she is continuing to drop more coins into his little dish. And she proclaims, I wish there was something more I could do. Albert takes the woman's gloved hand and says, You've done enough. Thank you. And he kisses it, which causes the fancy woman to drop even more change into Albert's dish. Cut to more black smoke once again coming out of Nellie's restaurant and L-O-L. Nellie looks like Kylie Jenner trying to cut a cucumber as she is working on dissecting the chicken in her hands. She also looks ready to don on a ghost-faced mask costume and start a murder spree at Walnut Grove. That knife is huge. Caroline enters the kitchen Nellie drops everything she's doing and runs crying to her. Just kidding. In fact, Nellie inquires, um, why are you here? Don't you only work on the weekends or Saturday? Caroline is there hoping to pick up a few extra shifts, at which point Mr. Olson, who's been walking around in the background, says, that is wonderful. Meanwhile, Nellie announces how she'd hate to disappoint her regular customers. I have high culinary standards during the week. Her words, not mine. She continues how she's made a name for herself all the way over to Mankato. Mr. Olson steps in and says, yeah, it's a name I can't repeat in front of Caroline, however. Nellie, acting a little shocked, says, uh, my customers swear by my cooking. Mr. Olson nods his head. Yes, that's what I just said. Although she doesn't huff and puff and storm out of the kitchen, she does slam everything down on the counter and leaves, allowing Caroline to step in. Back in Mankato, Charles has had zero luck for finding a better price for that new unused plow and inevitably returns to the first location and is given an even $13 for the plow. And while the store clerk heads inside to get Charles's money, Charles stands by the side of his wagon, P.O.'d. He even manages to pull his hat down over his face. We are back over at Plum Creek as they are counting out $29.68, a little short. But this is when Laura and Albert pull out their contribution, $2.88. Charles inquires, where did they get the money? And normally, Albert's a little quick on his feet to response. But in this case, he tells the truth, sort of. 
people just seemed like they wanted us to have their money. <laughs> Laura continues, yeah, it was kind of like a miracle, Pa. Charles and Caroline don't ask any more questions, and they are happy to announce they have 56 cents left over. And tomorrow, they plan to put in that order for those books. We get a time jump because Charles is arriving back at Plum Creek with a wagon load full of those printed books. Laura yells and runs up to the Prairie Airbnb to get Grandpa Holbrook to come look at the stock. And looking at that leather-bound, hard-covered book with the title, My Book of Memories, by Friedrich Holbrook, Charles mentions how he plans to take a few copies down to the mercantile to sell. Caroline even suggests that her pa goes ahead and autographs a few copies as well. Excited about that idea, Grandpa Holbrook heads back up to the Prairie Airbnb while also announcing if this first run of books sells out, we could do a second printing. The Ingalls are not entirely sure how to process this. Cut to the mercantile, and it's a no, 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 from Harriet Olson. She proclaims that this bit of literature is not going to be interesting for our community. As Charles takes that crate of books outside, Mr. Olson follows behind and apologizes for Harriet's jealousy. This is when Albert who is still up on the porch, tells Charles, uh, I'll be right back. Inside, Harriet scolds Albert for trying to waste her time as well as his. And in a hushed voice, Albert leans in and says, Thank you. Pa never read the book, and I hope he doesn't find out what's inside of it. Harriet Olson is now intrigued. Tell me more. Albert continues, I can't believe my grandpa would write stuff about my mom for the whole world to see. Moving in even closer, Harriet Olson starts to smile. Really? Like what? Albert claims he can't share it. It's so shameful. But Harriet, oh, come on. You can tell Auntie Harriet. Your mom and I, we're like best friends. Nothing I read will change my opinion about her. This is when Albert begins. Well, there was this time she was in a public place, not doing anything, but not wearing anything either. Harriet Olson gags, or gasp, according to the closed caption, and Harriet can't even say the words nude or naked, but if she had pearls, she would be clutching them right now. And in an instant, Harriet Olson runs outside to purchase all of the copies of Grandpa Holbrook's book. She offers cash up front and a shelf all to their own. And Charles and Mr. Olson stand confused with Albert once again smiling in the background. We cut to Harriet Olson 
up in bed, speed reading that book. She is determined to find this nude incident, as well as any other juicy parts she might find. However, when she does find the story she's looking for, she realizes that they are talking about Caroline as a baby, leading Harriet to call Albert a scrawny little devil. And apparently, Harriet Olsen hasn't learned to not trust Albert. As Harriet Olsen explains Albert's behavior and tosses the book across the room, Mr. Olsen gets into bed, busy LOLing. Back to Cricket's chirping, this time over at the hib. Oh, right, Mary's pregnant. Almost forgot about that. She is busy breathing hard when she rolls over and tries to wake up Adam. Adam, still half asleep, says, We've already picked out a baby name and there's no food in the kitchen. What else do you want? And Mary states, she wants Doc Baker. Adam is up and out of bed and almost out the door before Mary tells him he better put on some pants. We cut to Hester Sue riding fast, stopping over at the Ingalls to let them know it's time and I'll see you all there. And she drives off without even offering a ride to any of the Ingalls. Back at the Hib, the front door swings open, the Ingalls clan all enter, and Doc Baker steps into the scene to congratulate Grandpa. And to share the news, it's a boy. Everyone rushes upstairs to see the newborn, who's been given the name Adam Charles Holbrook Kendall. Grandpa Holbrook is taken aback. Me? And from Mary? Of course. Your family too. And great-grandpa Holbrook steps forward and makes the request to hold the child. My wife was gone. I thought my life was over. But now I'm an author and a great-grandfather. You have made an old man very happy. Cut to the bell ringing of Engine 3 at the Springfield Station. Everyone is saying their goodbyes to Grandpa Holbrook. First it's the kids, then it's Caroline, and lastly, it's Charles. And upon hugging Grandpa Holbrook, rapid eye-blinking Charles makes a cameo. Once on the train and at his seat, Grandpa Holbrook opens up the windows and yells out, Watch after my great-grandchild. He's a Holbrook. My future. You all are. The engine begins to pull away, and Laura, holding on to baby Grace, provides a voiceover, informing us two years after they said goodbye to Grandpa Holbrook on that train station, he passed away. And on his tombstone, it simply reads, Frederick Holbrook, author. Just as a reminder, 
Frederick Holbrook was indeed Caroline's father or stepfather, which we discussed these details back in season four's I Remember, I Remember. And while in that episode we were introduced to a young Charlotte Holbrook, Caroline was still Caroline Quinner. And nowhere in the Little House book series or in Caroline Fraser's Pulitzer winning Prairie Fires book, Frederick Holbrook was no author. In fact, in Prairie Fires, Frederick Holbrook's name only comes up once. Twice if you include the index. And other than just some brief mentions in Little House in the Big Woods and in the opening chapters of Little House on the Prairie, Frederick Holbrook is just a footnote. There's no mention if Caroline and the rest of the Ingalls ever saw Frederick Holbrook again after leaving Wisconsin. And again, Mary never got married and never had children. So this episode definitely took a few liberties with the Ingalls family line. But with that, let's get right into reviewing and rating this episode. Our biggest takeaway here is we finally get to meet Caroline's father, stepfather. We had already had our brief introduction to Caroline's mother, Charlotte, back in, again, season four's I Remember, I Remember. And even then, she was introducing herself as Charlotte Holbrook. But Frederick Holbrook was not introduced whatsoever in that episode. The only other mention that we have of Frederick is way back in season one's The Lord is My Shepherd with baby Charles Frederick Ingalls. And even back then, we were indeed told that the baby was named after Caroline's father and Charles. And so here we get to meet him. And from this moment, I do believe we can check off that we have been introduced to all of the grandparents. Lansford and Laura Ingalls, Charlotte in a flashback, and in a coffin, and lastly, Frederick. So our episode here is, again, dealing with grieving. However, in this case, it's a way more positive method than Lansford Ingalls had attempted. So as Frederick works through his grieving process, the Ingalls decide to enhance his dream by actually getting his writings published. And so we spend the second half of the episode trying to make that whole plan come to fruition. And again, that's what the Ingalls do. They all pitch in where they can to help make some sort of financial contribution, which goes all the way back to season two's The Richest Man in Walnut Grove. And while season one had a few episodes where the young Ingalls girls were finding odd jobs to get whatever finances they could, such as the case at Christmas in Walnut Grove, or Mary getting a job at the Mercantile, you know, to help pay for that history book she torched. But season two's opener has everyone working together to save the farm, which as we all know up to this point, wouldn't be the last time the farm ends up in jeopardy. And speaking of things that are not the last time, let's talk about this week's little house moment, which goes to Albert and his brilliant play of getting Harriet to purchase all of Grandpa Holbrook's books. Albert knows 
his stuff. Living on the streets for as many years as he did, under the age of going to say 10, because that's what they've told us, Albert is a survivalist. He will say whatever he needs to, to make sure things work out in his favor. I mean, at first he got Grandpa Holbrook to open up, and then he got some fancy woman in Mankato to continuously drop coins into his dish, and then he manages to convince Harriet Olson that there's some salacious stories inside Grandpa Holbrook's book, which is what convinces Harriet that she needs to purchase those books. So Albert once again steals the episode with just a few scenes. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. Eh, not too much. It's a standard feel-good episode. We have our obstacle to overcome, and we finish on a high note. I feel as though the one casualty of this episode, and no, I'm not going to say Charlotte Holbrook, I'm going to say it's actually Mary and her pregnancy. We're told right off the bat that that's the sole reason the Holbrooks are coming to visit. We get a brief scene of Mary being pregnant and then having cravings in bed, and then the next thing we know, then she's going to give birth. But at no time at all did we ever see Grandpa Holbrook actually hang out with Mary or Adam. And yes, they're busy running a school for the blind, but still... You want to see your great-grandchild being born, how about hang out with your grandchild who's going to give birth? The only time the two ever shared any screen time is in the end. And while it shouldn't seem unusual that Mary made the choice to include Grandpa Holbrook's first and last name in naming her child, we never really saw any sort of relationship between the two of them at all during this episode. So I guess that's the thing that really bothered me the most is that the reason for the visit is due to this pregnancy, but the pregnancy as us for the viewers is also kind of just dropped on to us at the very beginning of the episode. Here we are 11 episodes into season six and nobody had bothered to say, oh, hmm, Mary's gonna get pregnant again. She's just magically pregnant again. It's one of those little things you could have dropped into any of the previous 10 episodes in this season. So Mary, like her namesake, is just magically pregnant. And I kind of do wish we would have seen Caroline and Frederick Holbrook interact a little bit more and maybe reminisce a little bit more together. Yes, I imagine losing a spouse is one thing, but losing a parent is also something that you would mourn. And other than Caroline's quick breakdown of when she finds the coffin in the back of the wagon, after that she just seems over it. And instead of getting some sort of scene between the two of them, what we do get is a scene of Caroline heading back into Nellie's trying to pick up extra shifts. We know Caroline knows how to grieve. She's done it before in the past, back in season four's A Most Precious Gift, but instead, what we get is a scene of Caroline going back to Nellie's to try to pick up some extra shifts. It was a good episode, gave me the nice warm feelings, 
but still, some things just didn't sit right. And that is why we are going to give this episode, Author Author, a 4.25 bonnet rating. We ignore the fact that Mary's pregnant throughout most of this episode, Caroline spends as little time with her stepdad as possible, and Albert, not that it's a bad thing, once again steals the episode. And those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can reach out with those thoughts and feelings. If you've been enjoying this little podcast, please feel free to leave a rating or review on your platform of choice to help get the word out on this little podcast. Next week, we are back with the season six episode entitled Cross Connection. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.